Oh my god, y'all, welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at Indy Nickerson on Twitter, or you can look for me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you feel so inclined. You are no by no means necessary. You really don't have to. It's fine. Today's episode is we're in season seven, so we're in the Nancy Drew Files, and we are looking at Files number 14, which is called This Side of Evil, which raises some questions. What's on the other side of evil? And the answer is, this club has it all in Stefan voice. Like, oh my god. It is as though at some point in the future, I find a time machine, and I go back to 1987, and I go to Simon & Schuster, and I'm like, hey can I write a book where Nancy and Ned bang a lot? And they're like, no. And I'm like, can I hint at it though? And they're like, well, we can't stop you. It's as though that happened. This one, of course, we're in 1987. We're still in 1987. We're going to be there forever. In our hearts, we are always there. This one, oh, the cover. The cover has like this really interesting pastel, Not we're not going full Lisa Frank here, but like the clouds are looking very definitely this pastel pink candy floss is happening in the background. Also, apparently, because it doesn't make sense that it's anybody else in this book, I think that the guy in the middle ground has to be Ned, and he is rocking some extremely dark as in black hair, which is fine. He's wearing wearing a collared polo shirt with a cardigan over it because he's just going in full dad mode. Um, This polo shirt is tucked into some extremely high-waisted pants, like fashionable for the 80s but also high-waisted and he's wearing one of those belts that has like the horizontal stripe on it yeah he's rocking it he's got his hands in his pockets and he's gazing lovingly at the woman that he loves who is looking back over her shoulder with her lips pursed as though she's just been caught in some sort of indiscretion and maybe is going to ask him to chase her I don't know she's wearing like what looks like this weird country western get up which I was like does she even wear this in the book and she does actually ultimately wear this for the final confrontation with the boss um it's a purple skirt with flowers on it, although at the end of it, they refer to it just as a floral skirt. She's wearing that weird belt that looks kind of like you took a saddle and repurposed it, gone with the wind style, and with some gloves tucked into it, which again, was she just riding a horse? Because that is not a thing that happened in this book. She's wearing it with this pink sweater that I think it's dolman sleeved, and it has like extremely big sleeves on it, like... You're doing weird things. And a weird, like, fold-over lace collar that looks tied in the front, like we're trying for some weird Civil War-era shit. I don't know what's happening here. She's also got shoulder-length reddish gold hair that's got a bit of a wave to it, but again, with the weird lip pursing, it looks like somebody just caught her just mid-cigarette. I don't know. It's it's really weird, though. It's just really weird. In the background, we have the thing that's going to happen at the end of the thing, so we're going to get back to that because, again, this club has it fucking all. If you've ever been like, what if Ned used the claw machine to save his girlfriend from certain death? Guess what, bitch? You're going to enjoy this. So, the premise of this book... By the way, when I got to the end of this, I just burst out laughing because I have read this before. I know that I have. And my longtime writing partner, Little Miss Messy, who I love you. I love you, girl. Um, loved this book because there were a few times when we were writing and she was like, we're going to talk about Montreal. And I was like, that's fine. And then I read this book and I went, yeah, it's it's all falling into place for me with this. Because, oh, my God, if I could write some missing scenes for this book and you bet your sweet ass I'm going to. 
holy shit, it is rife with opportunities for, and then they banged. Like, oh my God, yes, yes. Seriously, I can't emphasize that enough. How the ghostwriter for this one and me, same wavelength in all ways. Okay, we're in Montreal, bitches. Um, Nancy has been called there for a case. Um, the person, okay, and I'm, I read this other fantasy series that, which talks about Chernobog, and so the name of the corporation is Cherbourg, which, of course, because Montreal, we're talking, like, French, and, of course, Nancy knows French because she's Nancy fucking Drew, so there's some French happening in this book, which they, of course, helpfully translate into English, much like The Hunt for Red October, when we seamlessly transition from Russian into Sean Connery speaking Scottish English. <laughs> Anyway, we're in Montreal. Nancy has been called there to solve a blackmailing case, and George was going to accompany her, but Ned is also taking some time off from Emerson College to accompany her, because you know what? That term paper, it kicked his ass, and he's just going to go with her. As always, whenever Ned is like, I've got a break from school, I'm like, do you though? Because you keep not graduating, and I feel like this is why. Like, they're like, honey, you gotta come to class occasionally. You can't just play basketball here. (laughs) He's accompanied them. They're staying at a fucking apartment. Okay, as you know, if you are a big reader of romance novels, as this bitch is, then oh my god, Nancy and Ned are sharing an apartment in Montreal. Her father is nowhere nearby. George is there, but we can ditch her. It's fine. But the place has twin beds, but you know what? We're not going to need that much space for what's about to happen here. And also, there's an entire floor, so it's fine. Okay, they're in Montreal. They walk in, and George is like, look at this. Oh, my God, we even have a VCR. Side note, much like a Chekhov's gun, whenever these bitches mention a VCR, it's going to be used for reasons. (laughs) Not those reasons. Shh. Anyway, they're there. Um, there's twin beds in the room so that Bess and George are going to share those. And then Ned gets to sleep on the living room sofa. And I'm like, is he, though? Is he, though? Is it a pull-out bed? I mean that in every possible sense. Um, yeah, good times. So um, they go to Chernoborg. I'm, I'm never fucking going to say that word correctly. They go to the industry. They go to the place. Anyway, Cherry. Yeah, that's close enough. They go to Cherry Place. They go there, and the person that they are meeting, as soon as they walk in, Nancy's like, bitch has got some cold eyes to her. Her name is, we don't fucking care. Actually, her name is Ashley. We're going to call her Evil Ashley. Evil Ashley is there, and she's like, she's got the ice blue, cold, cold gaze of somebody who has got some shit going on behind those eyes. She also wears glasses that she occasionally takes off and continues talking, and I'm like, oh, so she doesn't need them. (laughs) As a person who needs glasses desperately, glasses are not a thing that I just casually take off and continue talking to people, because at that point, they become blurs, but it's fine. So, apparently, Ashley, evil Ashley, has discovered that there are some people at at Cherry Place who are being blackmailed about various things and so Nancy's like can you give me some more information and she's like yes so one woman apparently forged a check one woman um you know what I can't even fucking remember what she did maybe like shoplifted it was it was something that was actually not that serious it was like a a one-off like she just did one thing one time and then yeah 
The third person is the chauffeur for the president of the company, and he got involved with drugs. It's 1987, bitches. The war on drugs is here. Um, yeah, it's fine. Is it, though? No. So, anyway, Nancy goes to interview each of these people. One of them is home with the flu, and so she sets up a, a meeting to meet with her later on that day, and I'm like, bitch, first off, if somebody's got the flu, let them stay at home. It's fine. Second, wear a mask. It's 2022. Wear a fucking mask. Um, yeah, lice all that shit up. It's fine. Um, the one girl who's there, um, Nancy goes to talk to her. I don't remember any of their names and they don't fucking matter. Um, she goes to talk to her and she's like, yeah, um, I got this threatening note that was left on my desk and it was saying that I needed to pay up. I needed to leave the blackmail money in a red plastic bag. And I was like, was the red plastic bag provided? Because if anyone asked me to go procure a red plastic bag, I'd be like, are we talking like the kind of not really all that red Ziploc bags or are we talking something a little bit more serious? Something used for yard waste possibly. I'm supposed to take that and throw it at the Nelson column, which Nancy doesn't immediately twig to and I don't understand why. I don't know when, I don't know why I know what the Nelson column is, but it's fine. So they have to throw the blackmail money into a trash can that's at the Nelson column. That's the drop off point for all of them is what she eventually finds out. So, yeah, the woman's like, okay, so I, I went back to my desk and I found this. The thing is that she's being asked for, like, $50 at a, you know, per transaction. Like, and it's not, like, every week or anything. It's, like, maybe once or twice a month that she's being asked to do that. And Evil Ashley is like, yes, they're already not being paid a lot. So having to pay somebody $50 is a hardship on them. And I was like bitch, you're indicting your own company by saying they can't even afford $50 worth of blackmail, which is a really weird sentence to say, but I stand by it. Um, yeah. So she goes to talk to, I I guess she interviews flu lady. I don't even, I have no recollection of that whatsoever. If, if she did, it was just like, and more of the same. She goes to interview the chauffeur who is Actually, I think that his payments were a little bit more because his infraction was a little bit more serious. But Nancy never, never, and I'm going to go ahead and spoil this, she never actually talks to the president of the company. She always talks to Ashley, who is like a, evil Ashley is like an executive assistant. Yeah. I mean, she's got her own office and everything. It's fine. And no, nobody throws a rock through her office window because there's some really weird similarities between this book and the previous book, except for that no one's dead yet. Yet, she said ironically. So, um, the secretary gets another letter and she is so shaken that she gives it to Nancy because she's like, I I know what it's going to say and I I don't want to open it. And I know that you're here investigating, so I'm just going to give it to you. And Nancy's like, oh, okay. So she opens it up and it's addressed not to the person who was supposed to get the letter like it's it goes it went to the wrong person this person is blackmailing so many fucking people that they cannot even keep their black metal letters straight so the person that it's addressed to nancy asks evil ashley if she knows who this person is and she's like oh hell yeah she's this actually um pretty popular tv personality here Ooh, side note, Cherry Place is involved with shipping. Um, so they have 
a warehouse at the wharf. Anyway, that's that's what the company's involved in. None of the blackmail seems to be involved in whatever the company is doing. It's just like, oh, we're a company that ships things. And also some people here are being blackmailed. No reason. It's fine. So Nancy opens the new letter, sees that it's addressed to somebody else, decides to go talk to the person who was supposed to drop off the blackmail money, which by the way, like it's like thousands of dollars for this person, which makes sense because she's a TV personality and so she's rich. So they go there and talk to her. Um, as soon as they walk in, she's like getting her makeup done. Um, Nancy and George walk in and the woman's like, what are you here about? And Nancy's like, so, um, blackmail and the woman's like what the fuck are you talking about and Nancy's like so I know that you're being blackmailed and I know that they ask you to leave the money in a red plastic bag at the Nelson column and the woman's like fuck you got me um because it's I think the letter actually says something about a guy named Dutch it's like if you don't pay up then everybody will find out about what you did for Dutch and Nancy's like I, I've I've heard of many mobbed up names in my life and this strikes me as one of them. And so she mentions that name to her and she's like, yes. And if you're asking yourself, what is her name? The answer is, I don't fucking remember because there's a lot of people in this book. And also the Nancy Drew Files, the first page of any Nancy Drew Files is actually like a list of characters. So the important people like her contact on the case and some suspects and like a thing at the bottom, which is the complication much like a Perry Mason story, which lists like the 47 people you're going to meet and how many of them are identical twins. But yeah, so the TV reporter, she's a TV personality and Evil Ashley describes her as a cross between like a, a news anchor and a gossip columnist, basically. So she's TMZ. Just imagine she's TMZ, embodied as a person. So the TV anchor admits to Nancy that she lied about the whereabouts of Dutch on a night when he was actually involved in something else. So she falsely alibied him. And if anybody found out about it, then it would like tank her career because she's trying to be like a legitimate reporter. So, so she explains that to Nancy and Nancy's like, okay. So she asks her about like the previous blackmail drop-offs and determines that yes, it seems like it's the same blackmailer, same method for all of them. Um, it's just, if the, whatever happened was more serious and apparently they're paying more money if, you know, if they apparently have the money to pay. So Nancy's like, do you know of anybody else who was being blackmailed? And the TV personality is like, oh, hell yeah, my friend Lake. Why do I remember that? Because I've never met anyone with the name Lake. So Nancy goes over to Lake's house and is like, Ah, lake house. That makes sense. So she walks in and she's like, hey. And of course the woman called ahead to, you know, give her the all clear. Nancy walks in and she's like, hey, so blackmail. And the girl's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Nancy's like, so funny story. I just talked to TV anchor lady and she said that you were being blackmailed and I'm, I'm here to help. I'm not here to like get on you about whatever you're being blackmailed over. So this is what she finds out. Apparently Lake, in a fit of youthful exuberance slash meth, who the fuck knows, um, was driving her car, hit a young girl, um, did a hit and run actually. She ran from the scene. The next day she called up the hospital, found out the girl's name, um, offered to pay all of her hospital bills, offered to pay for her to have plastic surgery. Um, basically just wanted to do everything she possibly could to keep herself out of it. But the person who is blackmailing apparently found out about it. Which Nancy's like, I think it would probably be pretty easy to find out who's paying somebody's hospital bills, but okay. So 
this is, this happened like years ago. So she's still like paying bills or pay, basically paying hush money to the family. And now she's being extorted over it. So Nancy's like, okay. And the, the girl's explanation for this is, oh, well, I just didn't want my dad to cut me off and, and deprive me of my allowance. And Nancy being, of course, the daughter of the man who invented toaster strudel knows exactly how it is to be cut off from daddy's money in a hypothetical sense. And she's like, I mean, I get it, but also that was kind of a dick move. So I'm just saying. Also, I'm just going to point this out. Evil Ashley. <laughs> Whenever Nancy meets her, like Nancy is very much about snap judgments when she first meets people. So she walks in, sees her, she's looking very professional. Like her hair is very neat. She's got black hair. And of course the glasses, which are apparently a stage prop. Um, and she's also about 30, and she has risen to a place of prominence within the company. And as we know from previous Nancy Drew files, if you are a woman who is apparently super competent and also kind of a bitch, we know where this is going. But it's cool. It's cool. You're just telegraphing like a motherfucker. I'm going to back up here <laughs> and get back to the important part of this book, which is the fact that Ned's there. Um, anytime they want to call each other, they have to find fucking pay phones, y'all. They have to go find some fucking pay phones. Like, Ned's carrying around a bunch of Canadian coins. <laughs> Just in case they need to call somebody from the street. Um, anyway. I cannot remember where the fuck they're going at this point. But anyway, there's one point in the book where Ned is accompanying Nancy to go to interview a suspect or somebody who's being blackmailed. And he's looking around, he's like... Nancy, let's take a horse-drawn carriage. And Nancy's like, hell yeah. It's Montreal. It's spring. It's super romantic. The city is wonderful and just effusive with flowers. Hell yeah. Let's do this. And Ned's like, and let's not talk about the case. And Nancy's like, you're right. Let's not talk about the case. Let's just gaze longingly into each other's eyes. And Ned's like, I'm fucking here for that. And then Ned pulls out his tour book because Ned is a huge nerd. And he's like, and here on the right, we see Nelson's column. And Nancy's like, Nelson's column, what? So, of course, she's super excited because that's the place that all the blackmail money is being dropped off. So there, she's very excited to see that. And she's like, okay. She looks around. And she's like, okay, so I see the trash can. And it also looks like there's not like a lot of cover. Like, this absolutely has to be the place. So she's like, okay. And Ned's like, are you thinking about maybe doing a stakeout when somebody drops off some blackmail money? And then they look at each other and that's like... We said we weren't going to talk about the case. <laughs> but he was clearly participating. Like, he doesn't say it in a mean way. And Nancy's like, yeah, let's just not talk about the case. It's fine. So, I'm going to read aloud. This may be the only thing that I read aloud. I don't know. So, Nancy's looking around, and there's cars around and everything. And Ned slipped an arm around Nancy, and she dropped her head against his shoulder. Yes. Hey, he said, nudging her. There's Notre Dame. Isn't it beautiful? She turned and saw the pretty stone church with its central spire and two side pinnacles in front of them. Side note, Nancy Drew books are like, bitches need to know some architecture, and I'm here for it. Back to the story. And then she imagined her wedding day in a church just like that. What would her dress look like, and what would Ned, Long Dash, why are they fucking with me this way? I read this, and, and tears came to my eyes, listener. Tears. Literal tears. Hey, Drew, Ned said, you got something on your mind? Nancy blushed. Not at all, Nickerson, she said, smiling. Not at all. Ned's arm tightened around her and he bent toward her, his lips close to hers. Nancy, he said softly. I, long dash, interruption. Just at that moment, a car careened recklessly around them and, and spooked the horse. 
Because, you know what, bitch? Traffic's gonna cock block me at every turn. It's fine. So, yeah. Um, they, of course, the, the driver gets the horse and carriage back under control and they get out of it. And, like, Ned's like, okay, so we're, we're gonna walk from here. And the guy's like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. And Ned tries to pay him and he won't take their money because, you know, this is a horrible incident and we do not want a bad review of the horse-drawn carriage industry in Montreal, y'all. It's fine. Okay. So, um, the one thing that George is super excited about for this book is apparently the Montreal Expo slash Olympic Stadium in Montreal, which bitch should have looked it up, but I didn't. And I'm sure that Montreal probably did host the Olympics at some point. I am 100% not an Olympic stan, and George is 100% an Olympic stan. So George is super excited about the idea of actually, like, running on the Olympics track. Like, she wants to go to where the track is and actually, like, run where, like, other Olympics people were. And I'm like, that's adorable. I'm the opposite, whatever the opposite of that is. I'm Stefan, who is talking about the hottest club. It's fine. Um, but they go to the place where they're pretty sure it is. Like it's a big arena and apparently it's close to the public and it's used for various events. So she can't just walk in there and, and run on the track, which is deeply disappointing to her. Nancy happens to mention it to Lake, the hit and run artist who is like, Oh, oh yeah, my dad's got connections there. I can get you tickets. So that's fine. And Nancy's like, oh my God, George would fucking love that. Because like, I think George and Lake have this disagreement. Like they start bickering about something. And then when they find out about that, George is like, oh, okay, you're, you're okay again now. Probably something involving her being a complete meth head, just running into toddlers left and right. Anyway, so what Nancy decides to do after that is she finds out about the plastic surgeon who is helping with the hit and run victim. And so she's like, well, that could be the place where the blackmailer found out the information about this. So she decides to go visit that plastic surgeon and see what he has to say about everything. Sure. Um, they decided to do that the next day. Nancy says, okay, George, you are going to pretend that you need a rhinoplasty. And George is like, I do not have a rhino. (laughs) Because George is also playing the part of Bess in this book. Um, and Nancy's like, no, rhinoplasty is the name for nose job. And George is like, there's nothing wrong with my nose. And Nancy's like, I know there's nothing wrong with your nose. Your nose is adorable. We are just going to the plastic surgeon and we need an excuse. Shh, hush lambkins. So in the meantime, um, they go out, Nancy and then George go out dancing. George meets a guy named Pierre because it's fucking Canada and French people. So, um, yeah. She, I don't think that they ever actually see Pierre during there. So if they do, it's for like five seconds. Um, because it's like, oh, I've fallen in love. And you're like, you are definitely playing the best role for this book. It's almost as though the ghostwriter really wanted best to be the person accompanying them. And at the last minute was like, oh, the Olympics thing. Shit. It has to be George. <laughs> anyway. So, um, yeah, they go out dancing. I think that actually... Nancy and Ned decide to call it a night and George decides to stay out. And so Nancy and Ned go back to the apartment and they're dancing together. And that's another time when like they're dancing close and their favorite song is on the radio and it's very romantic and they're gazing longingly at each other. And that's like Nancy. And then of course the, their tender moment is interrupted by a fucking knock at the door because 
fuck all your cog blocking. <laughs> They're alone in the fucking apartment. It's an apartment. Damn you. Side note, the apartment is the Cherry Place's apartment. They just have a, a random apartment in the same town that their headquarters is in. And you're like, why though? Why? Why? Why do you have an apartment? Other than for plot reasons. That's fine. So, they hear a knock at the door. Ned opens the door. And it's somebody delivering a newspaper to their room. And the headline on the newspaper is, Nancy Drew dies in Montreal. <laughs> So they they look at it, and Nancy's like, oh, this was pasted together from other newspapers and put together. Which, what the living fuck? Like, you, you cannot, there's literally no way for you to do a paste-up of a newspaper at that level and not have it look like a hot garbage and be immediately obvious. Like, oh my God. I, initially, when she saw it, I was like, somebody went to the fucking trouble to go to a print shop and actually have them mock up a fucking newspaper on newsprint, on newsprint no less, a print run of one to just have as a gag gift. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I'm calling bullshit on it. Anyway, also, where the fuck did you find those words in headlines? It's fine. So they see this and they're like, oh, well, it's just a threatening letter. There's also, um, I can't remember how exactly she gets the threatening message. I don't think that it's like written. I think it's just delivered to her on a piece of paper. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, she sees a note that's like, um, if you value your life and your friend's lives, you'll leave Montreal or something like that. And she's like, guess what, bitch? That's that's just not a thing that I ever do. Threaten everyone. I don't fucking care. <laughs> Basically. Nancy is the person who is going to stand up in chain mail on a roof during a thunderstorm. So it's fine. They go to the plastic surgeon the next day. Um, Nancy has the blackmail notes. She sent Ned and George into the Cherry Place offices to see if maybe a typewriter that's there, the office, did the notes because, of course, there were several employees were being blackmailed, so it makes sense that maybe if the blackmailer was there. But, and Nancy also looks at it and she's like, okay, this clearly was not typed on a computer and printed because it just doesn't look like that. And I'm like, fucking adorable. No dot matrix. Because, seriously, there are Nancy Drew files where she's like, oh, look, the, that, tear off part at the edge of the paper this was done on a dot matrix printer and I'm like you are fucking adorable and I love you so Ned and George try out all the typewriters they can find at Cherry Place and they do not match the typewriting to any of those but the paper is apparently distinctive so and I feel like there's actually yeah, there's actually a part in this one where Nancy actually uses that trick where you take tissue paper and put it over something and then rub out whatever was indented on it. Although I can't even fucking remember what the clue was. But anyway, so they go to the plastic surgeon's office. Um, there's a lot of people in the waiting room, actually. Um, they get shown back to the doctor and Nancy goes over and looks at the person's, you know, they've got a diploma wall. And so Nancy goes over and looks at the diploma wall, and she's like, this is fishy. So the doctor comes in, and she's like, so my friend needs a rhinoplasty, and also, um, how long have you been blackmailed? <laughs> and the doctor's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Nancy's like, 
you did your residency in six months because that's what these certificates imply that you managed to do your residency in six months and the doctor's like damn it like I'm I'm actually not really exaggerating that much on this scene about how like he's just he deflates almost immediately and is like shit I, you caught me out and Nancy's like what the living fuck? And I guess when people are looking for plastic surgeons, one of their determining factors is not how long did you spend in residency is what we're sensing from this. So he says, because she sees the paper that has been associated with a blackmailer in his office, it's got like a blue line down the border of it. She sees like there's there's stuff that makes her think that the because of course the person is blackmailing Lake over the hit and run accident so she's like okay are you the blackmailer and the guy's like no <laughs> he's being blackmailed over his fake degrees and so he says I can prove it and he goes over to his briefcase and opens it up and Nancy of course is nervous because she's like is he gonna pull out a gun like what is gonna happen and he opens up his briefcase and shows her a stack of cash because he has been blackmailed and this is his next blackmail payment. And he says he's been blackmailed for a while. He's been like $10,000 at a time. And he's been having to take on new patients to kind of cover the cost of all the blackmail. And Nancy's like, so you won't have any problem with me talking to your bank to see that you've been regularly taking withdrawals. And he's like, sure, you, okay. Like, I didn't expect you to take it that far, but okay. So he actually calls his bank and gives him permission to talk to Nancy and she is able to look at his bank statement and is like, yep, yep, everything checks out. So what she decides to do is to set up a drops. Remember when she and Ned were talking about and he's like, you're going to actually stake out when somebody does a drop to see who picks it up. And Nancy's like, maybe. So she tells the doctor to go ahead and do his drop off at the time that he normally would do his drop off so that she can follow him and find out who picks up the blackmail money. Okay, so important thing to talk about before we get to the actual blackmail drop-off pickup thingy. Lake drives a yellow Mercedes. Just soak in it. Just just imagine a yellow Mercedes. Imagine it. I can't. It's like day-glow yellow because this is 1987, so it's got a lot of scrunchies happening and also maybe smells like Hardee's. I don't know. So, um, Nancy... Ned and George, I think George, I don't know, it's at least Nancy and Ned, decide to go witness the blackmail payoff pickup thing at Nelson Column. Yes. Um, so they're there and they're like across the street heading toward it and the doctor makes his drop off in the trash can with the red plastic bag that the provenance of which I know not. And a bus passes between them and Nancy and Ned like bolt over there to get a better look and a yellow Mercedes almost runs them down. So Nancy actually grabs Ned and like forces him out of the way so that the car will not hit him. And it comes within like a hair's breadth of actually hitting them. And Nancy's like, son of a bitch, that was close. And of course, by the time the bus gets out of the way and they have recovered, the money has been picked up and they have not seen who did it. Side note, you've, you're already going to know this. Evil Ashley has always been like, please let me know what is happening at all times. And Nancy is obliging because Evil Ashley is her contact on this case. And so she just keeps letting her keep tabs on her. The other thing that happened is the first night after Nancy had been there and had been interviewing people is that the secretary's 
think it was the secretary. I think it was. Um, the secretary was like, as soon as all this shit is resolved, I'm going to move as far away from Montreal as I possibly can and just start a new chapter of my life. And that night, Nancy gets a call. Shit, I should do, I need to do a trigger warning about this. So if you're sensitive about suicide, please just peace out for a, f- a few seconds. The secretary's roommate calls and says that she thinks that her roommate has committed suicide and is too far gone to be saved. So, I guess you can tune back in. I don't know. Um, Nancy goes to the hospital to visit the secretary who was like, no. She says, I took one sleeping pill and because I needed, I needed some help going to sleep. That is it. I know that they are saying that the entire bottle is empty, but that is not true. Like, I did not do this. And as they're, she says, well, I don't know, maybe I got confused or something and took an extra one or whatever. So when they leave there, Nancy's like, okay, so, hmm, hmm, because it seems odd. Like, she's, she's definitely saying that, like, if anything happened, it definitely wasn't intentional, but anyway, so that's the thing that happened. So that's one reason why Nancy's eager to solve this case is because she wants all this mental pressure off these people. She actually goes to talk to the chauffeur who, that's going to happen in a second, um, and finds him living at, like, the carriage house of the president's estate, I guess. It's fine. I, having never been to Montreal, I, do, I don't know how they live there. I don't know. Maybe they all have mansions. Maybe Evil Ashley is just living in a stone mansion with a hairless cat. I don't know. So, um, after the botched stakeout, of course, Nancy calls Ashley, Evil Ashley, to report in that, no, they don't know what's happening. Um... They go back to the apartment, actually. I'm going to mix up timeline shit, and you don't know or care, so it's fine. They go back to the apartment, and Nancy and Ned are talking, and Ned's like, man, I'm parched. And Nancy's like, oh, I think I saw some lemonade mix in the pantry. Let me go get that. So she opens up the cabinet above the stove, and a thermos falls down and has some sort of, like, fog coming out of it. Like, some sort of liquid splashes, and it's got, like, this fog coming out of it. And Nancy had jumped out of the way, like, when she saw the thermos was coming down. So, Ned looks at it and takes, like, an entire page in the text to determine that it's probably liquid nitrogen. He's like, I've interacted with this in science class, and if it meets these qualifications and it's liquid nitrogen, and Nancy's like, who would have access to liquid nitrogen? Like, also, what would what would have happened if this had hit me? And Ned's like... Well, based on where it was falling from, it it could very easily have blinded you or given you like severe damage to whatever it fell on, if it fell on your face, for example. And then, of course, they share a tender moment because Ned's like, I'm so glad nothing happened to you. And you're like, y'all need to bang. You know that, right? You, you, need, you know that you need to bang. You, you need to work on this tension. You're already thinking about marriage. You're showing her cathedrals. Just bang. Give me this give me this. So, so of course, Ned, um, (laughs) Ned's like, I've got a match. Let me see if it'll catch on fire. And Nancy's like, you don't know that it's liquid nitrogen. What the fuck? At least do it outside. (laughs) So Ned takes some, and of course, most of it's evaporated by now. He takes it in the other room and comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm pretty damn sure it's liquid nitrogen. So they brainstorm about who would have access to liquid nitrogen. And of course, um, the plastic surgeon, it's possible that he would, somebody who's working in some sort of like medical 
setting might have access to it because he's like, you know, doctors used to use it to, to freeze off warts. Like, you know, there's no telling who would have access to it. He was like a physicist, a chemist, um, somebody like that. And I was like somebody who was into molecular gastronomy, who was running a, a like microbrewery or a gastropub <laughs> who wants to make liquid nitrogen ice cream. Um, one way that Ned tested actually is to take a leaf off a plant that's in the apartment and dip it into it and see that it turns it immediately like brittle and crystalline. So Ned is just getting all up in here doing some science experiments without safety goggles because he is not that level of nerd. That's fine. So, so Nancy's got all these clues. She still does not know who exactly is behind all this because there doesn't seem to really be any sort of connection. She's got these people who are being blackmailed for like $50 and she's like, in the grand scheme of things, like it's, it's almost an insult. It's almost not worth the trouble to blackmail somebody for $50 when you've got like a plastic surgeon on the hook giving you like 10 grand at a time. So it's like a power demonstration. It's like somebody just getting off on the fact that they can fuck with somebody. And Nancy's like, uh, you know, it's just fucking weird because she wants to find out about enemies. Like, who who would hate you enough to do this? And none of them really have an answer for her, honestly. Okay, so yellow Mercedes. You remember, of course, that Lake has a yellow Mercedes. And that a yellow Mercedes is the car that tried to run down Ann and Nancy. So almost immediately, they actually go over to Lake's house. And George goes up to the car. Ned feels the car. And he's like, the engine's cold. This This is not the car that did it. But they go up to the house anyway. So George, like, touches the door handle and the car alarm goes off and Lake appears in the doorway with a fucking gun and is like, get the fuck away from my car. Not again. And Nancy's like, why are you saying again? And Lake's like, somebody just tried to steal my car like three hours ago. And Nancy's like, did they? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So they brainstorm and they're like, okay, where the fuck would somebody have gotten a yellow must uh, a yellow Mercedes? Sorry, must I? Why would somebody have gotten one? They clearly tried to steal Lake's car, which would would have been a throw suspicion onto her because again, it's a fucking like I'm guessing Dayglo yellow Mercedes. Like it's gonna stick out. So they call a Mercedes dealership in Montreal, and the dealership is like, oh yeah, we've got a yellow Mercedes, and Nancy's like, do you? has somebody taken it for a test drive recently? And he's like, actually, yes. And they've just brought it back. And Nancy's like, really? Who was that person? So they find out that it's the chauffeur. It's the guy who was being blackmailed over his drug habits or whatever the fuck was happening. So they go to his place and he's like, Nancy's like, okay, why did you try to run us down? And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Nancy's like, bitch, you had to give them your license to borrow that car for a hot minute. Why'd you try to run us down? Also, he was even wearing a fucking wig. And so he tells them that the blackmailer did it. The blackmailer is the one who told him that he had to get a yellow Mercedes, basically directed him to steal Lake's Mercedes and to wear a wig while he was, and he was told to run them down. Like he was legit told to run, run down Nancy. He lost his nerve at the last second, so he actually avoided hitting them. But he was told to do it, and he feels really shitty about it, but the blackmailer. So they leave, and Nancy's like, yeah, like, it's it was an incredibly dumb plan. Like, 
again, it's a, it's that car sticks out like a sore fucking thumb. So they were trying to throw suspicion onto Lake and it was way too easy to track him back. So yeah. So she's inclined to believe him that he's not the one who actually orchestrated the hit. We'll put it that way. Um, they get back to the apartment and they find tickets for the Olympic running thingy, the, the Olympic track. Um, and so Nacy's like, oh my God, George is going to be so excited. And so they tell George and George, and the tickets are for between nine and 10 o'clock the next day. And Nacy's like, that's really fucking weird, but okay. Um, so they've got one ticket for the track and they've got two tickets for the press box. So Ned and Nancy can go up there and watch while George runs around on the track and they can take pictures. Ned, of course, being the biggest nerd in this book, and I love it, I love everything about it, um, brought his, he brought his fancy camera with his long range lens because of course he did. So, um, the next morning, I think Bess, listen to me, you know why I'm calling her Bess is because she's having lunch with somebody who's working on this case. Um, George has an early meeting with Pierre because reasons. And so she's, she goes out to breakfast and then she meets up with Nancy and Ned and she gets dressed in her jogging clothes and they go to the park, which remember Lake, Lake said that she could get them tickets. And so when they get the tickets, Nancy's not a lot surprised by it. So the, the person who is like doing security for the place looks at him and is like, Oh, well, I thought it was close for some sort of private event, but I, I guess it's fine. I mean, because Nancy's like, oh, well, you know, Lake, what's her face left him for us? And he's like, well, I, I guess it's fine. It's fine. So they go out there. George starts running on the track. Nancy and Ned are up in the press box clowning. <laughs> Just having a good time. Like, talking about how, like, this is the the best thing that's ever happened in Jordan. It's fantastic and all this stuff. And so Ned's got his camera out so they can take pictures for her to remember this event from. Um, when somebody else runs onto the track and it's a person in a completely white jogging outfit with a hood, which is what Lake was wearing when they first saw her actually. Um, so the person jogs near George and they're, Nancy and Ned don't really think that much of it. And then Ned is using his, that long telephoto lens and he looks down at the track and he's like, that's weird. The, the jogger in white is carrying like this can and Nancy's like, what what the fuck? And so she grabs the camera from Ned and looks down at the track, and she's like, the, something's wrong. This this doesn't, I don't like this. So the jogger stops, sprays George in the face with something. George falls down. Nancy and Ned, of course, like immediately run out onto the track, like down from the press box as fast as they possibly can. Um, they see George like sitting there, like shaking her head, trying to clear it. And the person bends over, does something. George slumps down and the person in white picks her up and runs out onto, into a tunnel. Ned gets there first because Nancy's like, Nancy's going as fast as she can. But Ned, of course, is, he plays every sport known to mankind. So he's there way faster. So he gets there and he's like, there's no way. Like as soon as he got into the tunnel, he could hear that there was a car peeling off and he, he wasn't able to see who it was. So George is gone, bitches. George is gone. Um, they get back to the apartment, Nancy and Ned do, and they're like, where the fuck? I have no idea. Um, there was one point earlier in the book where Ned was noticing the docks. Nancy and Ned both were. And Nancy was like, 
That'd be a good place to hide somebody. Oh, well, what are we having for dinner? (laughs) So they kind of, they debate about that. They're like, maybe that's where she was taken because it looks like a, a good empty space where somebody might keep somebody else captive. But it's like, it's way too big for them to search. It's not, it's not really feasible. And Nancy also doesn't want to call in the police because she's like, she doesn't really have any clues. And also, what the fuck are the police going to do? So, anyway. So, Nancy and Ned spend a sad night together just watching TV, hoping for something to happen. My thing is, y'all need to have, like, a grief bang. Y'all need to have a, like, I can't believe that we lost George. We need to hold each other, possibly while naked. But anyway. So they have basically a sleepless night. They get up the next day, of course. They report to Evil Ashley, who was like, I can't believe that your friend was, was kidnapped. That's terrible. Um, they get a note from the kidnapper that they need to go to a certain park that had been mentioned earlier in the text, and the name of it is French, and I'm not going to attempt it. So they spend, like, all day there. They don't, there's nothing, like, all morning, I think, at least, and they don't hear anything. Like, there's, there's no phone call, there's no note, there's no nothing. Um, they get another note that they need to... God, I don't even remember. It's like this weird reverse scavenger hunt. Or Nancy, Nancy looks at it and she's like, I really feel like we're being kept out of the way for some reason. Like, this is a wild goose chase. It's, this is not actually going to lead anywhere. This is not going to lead to George. Um, they get a call from Evil Ashley who says that she's received something from the blackmailer, and so she passed it along to them, and it's a VHS tape, because remember that Chekhov's gun? That bitch is paying off now. They take that back to the apartment, and it's George, who has been bound and gagged and clearly looks upset, and the person is saying that, like, Nancy is, Nancy's gonna lose her friends, and then she's gonna die, and there's nothing she can do about it, so, and Nancy's like, fuck you. (laughs) Because earlier in the book, like, somebody said, like, you and your friends are going to die. Like, I'm, what, what, you know, are you going to really risk your friends this way? And first off, that is not her friend. That is her soulmate, but it's fine. Um, anyway, so, of course, they're, like, deeply upset about all this. Let me think. Anyway. We get to the last day, which is when Nancy decides that despite the fact that her best friend George is sealed into an oil drum somewhere waiting to be shipped out to see that she is going to dress in the outfit she's wearing on the cover of this book so she's gonna rock a floral skirt and she's just gonna own it instead of wearing in pure black which is what I would have done it's fine um they find that they they get a report to evil Ashley who was like okay so I've gotten a note that apparently George is at the docks slash wharf slash warehouse she's somewhere in there and yeah, so go go get her. You've got until midnight or some bullshit. Um, so the helicopter is standing by. The the company helicopter. That I've got so many questions. Are they a fucking drug front? They're seem all their employees seem to be blackmail victims and evil Ashley and this president who we never meet. It's fine. Um, so they get on the helicopter. They go out to, because of course there's a traffic jam or whatever the fuck. They get out to the dock slash warehouse. Um, before they leave, Nancy tells 
Eva Lashley to call the police and have them meet them there at the warehouse. But of course, after Nancy and Ned get there, they're like, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to wait around for the cops to get here. Let's just go ahead inside and see what we can find out. So um, they're looking around and Nancy sees a shadow and freaks out. And that's like, oh, it's just a rat. And Nancy's like, fuck, what? And that's like, what? I mean, it's a warehouse. Everything in pop culture tells me that they are full of rats, that they're going to be attracted to food. And Nancy says, if the kidnapper has been feeding George, then it's reasonable to think that the rat might be attracted to the food that is left over from what George was eating. So we were probably in the right place. Also, she's probably not in like a crate or anything that's been sealed because the kidnapper needs to get to her pretty quickly. So they look around and they eventually find George, as previously said, sealed into an oil drum, um, like with the, the covers, the lid smushed down like on a paint can. So they find a crowbar and pull it up and they find George inside who has been bound and gagged. And there's like the remains of a sandwich at her feet because her kidnappers has fed her. Um, Ooh, also evil Ashley. Um, when they went to meet her earlier that day, the office had her hand bandaged and Nancy was like, Oh, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, it's fine. I just, it was just a little thing. So, and you're like, another Chekhov's gun, and I'm like, girl, of course, that's how this works, so, um, George is kind of, like, fucked up still, so she doesn't really know what the, what the hell's going on, so they get her out of there, and Nancy's like, can you tell us anything about, you know, the person who kidnapped you, and George is like, no, but I know it was a woman, which initially, Nancy, when she saw the kidnapper pick up George and run off with her, was like, oh, it has to be a man, and Ned says, not necessarily, he's like, based on the carry that that person was doing, like a, like a rescue carry, he said, you could do that with me if you needed to, like, this is not like a a male-specific carry, so if you have a strong woman, they, that woman could have pulled it off. And that's what George says. George says that her kidnapper was a woman because she overheard the voice. So, and also she bit her kidnapper's hand. And Nancy's like, ah, it's all fallen into place. But at that moment, um, they hear something and they hide behind a crate. And Nancy like ducks her head out just a little bit to see what's going on. And somebody fucking shoots at her and a bullet hits the crate next to her. And she hears the security guards who are like, I hear him. There's some people in here. Let's go get them. And so Nancy's like, what the fuck? Because again, they're, they're uh, evil. Ashley told them to go there. And she was like, well, of course she's going to tell the security guards that we're going to be there and what we're there for. But the security guards clearly don't know what the fuck's going on. So Ned says that he's going to take George and run. And Nancy says, okay, that she will provide a distraction. And it's like, no. And Nancy's like, take George and get out of here because George can't run. So Ned picks up George and runs, and Nancy runs in the opposite direction and making noise so that the security guards will follow her. They also have a dog, because of course they do. So um, the dog actually corners Nancy, like gets her to a place where it's it's going to be hard for her to get out. Before, before that happens, um, I have to share this with you. Nancy just sets a small fire just to distract the guards. So she finds like an oily sack of something and some matches in her pocket, and she just sets fire to some shit, just casually just set some fire you know as you do anyway so the dog has got her cornered and then she spots this crane moving in the warehouse and of course the security guards are trying to fight the fire and the dog is there and so she sees that ned is at the controls of the crane and he legit 
takes the basket and lowers it so that he can, so she can grab it because there's no way that she's going to be able to get out of there without the security guard seeing her. So he picks her up. The security guards are like, what the fuck? And they start running after her. And he's like, go, Ned, go, 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 go. So he busts out of there with the crane. Like he barely gets through the doors when they're wide enough to, to admit him through. The security guards are like, what the fuck? What the fuck's going on? They make a run for the helicopter. And of course the helicopter is a company helicopter. And so he's like, it's fine. We're, we're going to whatever. It's fine. So they all get in the helicopter and Nancy and Ned and George are, oh, the dog. That's the thing. Like they get out of the, the dog also follows them, of course, because the dog wants, wants to eat Nancy, all of her. So Ned is like, I'll take care of this. You, you go to the helicopter where George is. So he wraps his coat around his arm. At one point in this, it says that he has a tan windbreaker. And I was like, like George Michael, just rocking that windbreaker. Anyway, he takes off his coat, wraps it around his arm, and he doesn't attack the dog. He like lets the dog attack the padded arm that he's got, basically. And so he runs for the helicopter. And of course, the helicopter's about to take off. And so Ned, in true action hero sequence grabs the skid off the helicopter like the dog grabs the coat and Ned lets it peel the coat off his arm so that the dog is left behind and the helicopter picks him up he hoists himself onto the helicopter and Nancy's like that was badass as hell and we're gonna have sex at the nearest opportunity and George is like just like George is a little bit more awake at this point so the helicopter dude is like okay, we're going to go back to the headquarters. And Nancy's like, yeah, about that. It's, it's okay. So um, then all of a sudden the helicopter has some sort of, like the the pilot starts freaking out and is like, oh my God, we're, we're losing altitude. Nancy's like, shit, here's the thing. Nancy knows how to fly a helicopter. Um, not in this book, apparently. And maybe we're supposed to, feel that she got her helicopter lessons after this, but, um, anyway, she knows how to fly a helicopter later. It's fine. Um, kind of. She knows how to fly small aircraft like a Cessna. There's another thing with the helicopter and a volcano. It happens later. It's fine. Um, anyway, the helicopter starts losing altitude. Nancy has to call for help. Um, they tell him to head for a particular airport. He's like, we're not going to make it. Um, he ends up plummeting to the ground. They they do survive. It's fine. Like the it's banged up a little bit, but everybody's okay. Um, Nancy's hair is must. <laughs> so they get out of the helicopter, and Nancy's like, "What happened exactly?" And the guy's like, "Oh, well, the the something went out." And Nancy's like, "Okay, do you, do you think it was sabotage?" And the guy's like, "I." I, I don't know. So they go to the back of the aircraft after, after all of them are off the aircraft. Okay. They, and the, the people that they called for Mayday are sending like fire personnel out there to make sure that everything's okay. So they get back up to the aircraft and the pilot's like, somebody pulled the oil plug. She said, questioningly out of the helicopter. So of course, as soon as it lost all of its oil, like the engine was going to fail or some shit. And he was like, but the, the warning light never come on. That's weird. So all of a sudden they they smell gas or, or something. And so they're like, oh my God, we got to run. We got to run. Because that's, that's the smell of like jet fuel or whatever the fuck. And Nancy's like, where's Ned? And Ned, of course, is under the control panel in the actual body of the helicopter. Just poking around down there. And Nancy's like, Ned, Ned, get out, Ned, Ned. 
Um, so Ned, of course, manages to get off the aircraft right before it blows up and walks away from it in slow motion without looking back because Ned is here for all of your romantic fantasies. Um, but Ned confirms that the warning light for that particular issue had been cut. So that's why there was no indication that was going to happen. Um, pretty much as soon as the firefighters pull up, and again, the the helicopter is a tower of flame at this point. Um, the reporter who had been being blackmailed, um, she pulls up because, of course, she's an, an anchor. She comes in and she's like, oh my god, this is going to be fantastic. Like, I get to talk about this this airplane crash and the fact that you've survived and everything. And Nancy's like, so I need you to not say that we survived. And the reporter's like, what the fuck? No, this is, this is a great story. And Nancy's like, I have reasons. I will give you the full story afterwards. So you'll have like a a big scoop about that. But for now, I need you to say that, that there were no survivors or there are no reports of survivors. So the reporter reluctantly agrees. Nancy goes back to Cherry Place and she has discussed her plan with Ned and with George beforehand. So Nancy walks in, walks up to Ashley's office, Evil Ashley, but does not walk in and she she hears somebody call Evil Ashley, the reporter, who is like, oh, there's going to be a news report I want to see? Okay, so she turns on the TV and she sees the report about the helicopter crash and there there's the wreckage in the background and there were no survivors and or no reported survivors, and she's like, yes. So she takes out a picture of Nancy and is like, yeah, and sets fucking fire to it. She's like, gotcha. And so then at that point, of course, because it's a psychological moment to do so, Nancy walks in and is like, hello, bitch. And she's like, you're dead. You're supposed to be dead. And Nancy's like, guess what? We're not. We're not dead. Um, What the fuck? Like, what the living fuck? Why? What is happening here? So, here's the thing. She had no fucking motive for this, okay, y'all? She had no fucking motive for this. None of these people wronged her, like, in any significant way. She didn't have a vendetta against the news anchor. She didn't, like, hate the socialite who did the hit and run. Like, that wasn't her little niece or any shit like that. Um... She just wanted to prove that she was better than Nancy Drew. I have so many questions. So many. Like, as a a villain origin story, like, seeing that somebody is so good at their job that you're like, you know what? I need to become the opposite of you and fuck with your life. Like, so many questions. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, because I was waiting for, like, the further reveal. The, like oh, this is why I did it. My father is a criminal mastermind. Or, like, honestly, the best excuse in this entire fucking series is when Paula is like, yeah, your dad helped put my dad away, and he died in prison, and now I'm gonna fucking kill you. Like, that was legit creepy. This one, she's just like, I'm a psychopath, and I just wanted to prove that I was better than you by killing you in a plane crash. Which, again, this is the second plane crash that Nancy has walked away from because, clearly, Nancy is immortal in every possible sense. So, um, I think that, actually, at this point, Ashley pulls a gun because, of course, she does, and Ned comes in and, like, distracts her, and Nancy fucking karate chops her arm so hard that it breaks. Because 
that's where we're at, y'all. Um, and then the cops come in. And also the news reporter who was recording the whole thing. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is that kind of reveal where at the end of it, Nancy's like, I'm going to fuck with you in every way possible. Goodbye forever. So, yeah. Evil Ashley was behind it the whole time. Evil Ashley did all of it. Evil Ashley kept asking Nancy to report back to her about her progress. Just, And there were a few times in the case where Nancy actually calls her and gets no answer. And it's because uh, Evil Ashley has is working on kidnapping George. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's where we're at. And also, that's how she had access to the apartment is because it's it's her own company's apartment. So she was able to, to get in there and put the liquid nitrogen in. Nancy's like... Nancy actually points out whenever Ned's talking about it, like he says, you know, I don't know what I would do if something had happened to you. She's like, there was no way to guarantee that it was going to be me who opened that cabinet. Like, they're just trying to fuck with us, which is true. Like, um, evil Ashley just wanted to make Nancy suffer and then kill her, basically. Again, for the sheer joy of doing so. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, it's so weird. It's like in this series, especially in the eighties anyway, um, if you give a woman any, any modicum of power, she feels the need to just fuck everything up. Like I'm going to go full super villain, just, just full ass super villain at this point. I'm surprised she didn't light a fucking cigarette after she set fire to that picture of Nancy, which again, like if I were to do a queer theory reading of this, which you bet your sweet ass and normally would, I'd be like, okay, Evil Ashley is clearly attracted to Nancy in a way that she does not feel comfortable with. And so the only way to deal with those feelings, much like in a cask of Amontillado, is you got to break that shit up behind a wall slash set fire to it in a helicopter. Done. Anyway. So yeah, that's it. Um, Nancy and Ned have a super romantic getaway when somebody is trying to murder her slash all of her friends. And several times I'm like, is he about to propose marriage? Because that's what I'm sensing. And that's where Nancy's head seems to be at for this book. Which is fun because honestly, like, this is the first time that you're seeing any hint of that. We're not going to see it again for another few books. Files 24 is going to be of particular interest to those of you who are similarly minded. You know this, some of you already. Files 99, holy shit, once we get there, like, I'm going to have an apoplexy and I'm going to be laying on the floor just breathing heavily into a paper bag to get through that because it's my jam. It's my jam. So, so yeah, that's where we're at. Um, the next book is going to be trial by fire, which is files number 15, which I fucking love for several reasons. Ned's also involved. You know that he's, he's involved in all of my favorite books. Really? He is my patron saint. He's the head of everything. So yeah, like, from the Nancy Ned angle, from the romance angle, like this book, this book does legit have everything. Stefan is correct about that. I mean, in what other book are we going to have Ned plug Nancy out of air in basically a claw machine? We're not going to have that ever again. On the other hand, what the fuck with the lack of motive with the villain? Like, also, we never meet the president. It, it honestly feels like this evil Ashley set up an entire shell corporation just so that she could eventually trap Nancy into a really actually not well-designed scheme. Like, if Nancy had stepped back for, like, about five minutes, I want to believe that she would have been like, you know who's probably doing this is my contact on this case. Just saying. Just saying. The person you keep reporting back to. This may be the person that you were looking for all along. I'm just saying. And also... 
as usual. The thing about the files that irritates me the most is that Nancy doesn't learn between cases. So there are other cases where her contact on the case is the villain. And she's always surprised by it. It's like, why would somebody call me in if they are just trying to kill me this entire time? And I'm like, you've answered your own question. It's fine, though. Anyway, Nancy and Ned are super fucking cute in this one. If they had kept this tone for the entire series, I would have died a happy woman. Slash (laughs) eight-year-old. All right. So that wraps things up for this week. Stay tuned next week for a trial by fire. And as always... Stay sleuthy, my friends.